Take a seat, puss. Well, should we test drop the anchor sound shoals? Later. Yeah, right. <laughs> You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. We're back. The crew, Naya and John. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. We are discussing episode 13, season two, the season finale, Funhouse. Air date, April 9th, 2000. This episode was written by David Chase and Todd Kessler, who were both nominated for an Emmy for the writing of this episode. Um, directed by John Patterson. HBO synopsis is short and sweet. In this season two finale, Tony has a series of fever dreams that help to shed light on some of his problems, particularly his troubles over big pussy. So before we get into it, this is an episode that sheds conventions, bends genres, nods to David Lynch, Hitchcock, Coppola and avoids procedurally showing us or revealing something, but instead employing this use of dream analysis to explain, which is extremely controversial. Half of the Sopranos fans love dream sequences. The other half is kind of uncertain or on the fence about it. We'll find out where each of you are in a moment. I think it's extremely ambitious and confident and can be hit or miss, To me, it somehow pulls us in very strange ways, but finds a way to bring us back. So the title is Funhouse. Any thoughts, feelings, or impressions on the title? Well, there's direct reference to their location in the dream. Right. Off of uh, the shore. Something is missing. This could have been better. In the title. Just like people say about Anthony Davis, he's one of the greatest players in the league. But everybody who is unsure about him, they're like, there's there's just something that he's not giving me. There's something that this title is not giving me. Maybe mm. that's why they called it that, though. Yeah. So Carmela says it later on. The fun never stops. There's a direct hit-you-on-the-head reference to it. And then, John, you mentioned the dream sequence on the boardwalk. And even the editing when he's in the... Looking through the, what's, what is that thing called? I call them binoculars. Binoculars. They did like a cut very much like a carnival game where it's like, ching, ching. Okay. Like yeah, a yeah, slide yeah. thing. Yeah. I forget what the game is called. Did you guys know that this boardwalk doesn't exist anymore? Yeah, sadly. Closed down in 2004. People tried to save it. Just like the, just down here, there's a Chase Bank, an architectural historical landmark. They're going to tear it down in favor of a Frank Gehry mega mixed use project. Yeah, but you're all about Frank Gehry. Um, first order of business what does Tony do with Livia now? Did you guys see, feel, notice anything in this opening sequence? Barbara alluded to not knowing much about what Tony was referencing, but she made reference to Janice in previous episodes about some of the trouble that had already been caused. When they're laying on the, mm-hmm. at, the at the birthday party. She just seemed very over it. And that, that's the consistency of this character was she's only here when stuff goes down in major holidays. Family decisions. Mm-hmm. Like she would show up at a will contest or, you know, a state sale or something. You think the actress wanted to be more on the show and this was like her way of like showing like her ambivalence to everything because she was just like a, basically a, an extra. Like they had her come five hours early and make her wait so that when she got there, she just looked pissed. It is weird though because there are usual, if they're sisters, there's usually one that's more extroverted than the other. Because even when we meet Johnny Sack's daughters, there's like one who's more introverted and extroverted. Huh. I have a sister. She's definitely more extroverted. More extroverted than you? Way more. Really? Oh, my God. And you're the one who has to be on stage. Yeah. Wow. Barb. I'm the Barb. There's a great line. You believe that uncle of yours. I never conspired with him. She lies as effortlessly as Tony. And that's where he gets it. Right? She just lies. She just talks lies. Yeah. All of season one was her conspiring against Tony. Um... What was the plan for Tucson? It didn't exactly feel like a permanent fix to me. I don't think it was a plan. I think he he was so frustrated with her. That's why he... Yeah, it was someone else's problem. He was at his wit's end. Even if it's for a week or two or whatever. Yeah. Barbara's husband disallowing Livia from moving in with them. It was an interesting potential storyline. Classic... Nothing is wrapped in a bow for us. We're just clawing for more for the show. So we keep watching the damn thing because like, oh, what a nice thought. 
Oh, yeah. that's the last we're ever going to hear about that ever again. He could be the catalyst of why we never see Barbara, too. That yeah. he's emphasized to her, you have a better life without this family. Are you brewing up a Netflix uh, spinoff series? Oh, I have in your... so many good ones, but not okay, that one. Good, but but you agree, right? Like yeah. the whole Barbara and her husband as like a prequel thing, yeah. like why they're not involved. At least a good six or seven episodes um, worth of stuff there. From Livia, we go to an Indian restaurant, which I thought was an interesting cut. Uh, Livia to the goddess with six arms, as Tony says, who is formerly known as Kali a destroyer of evil forces, which, given that it goes from Kali to pussy, is very allegorical. Who said that? Johnny Sack. Very allegorical for what transpires in this episode. Nothing is coincidental. Calling cards. This is the new hustle. And you know how obsessed I am with the revenue streams of the mafia, right? And how do they do this? Pussy actually tells us this time how it works. Yes. Um, But first, a fish passes Tony's table in the kitchen, which, more symbolism, sleeping with the fishes. Yeah. You can't even count on your hands how many times there's a Godfather reference in this episode. Do you think the Godfather references were overdone? Or can they ever be? I don't think they can ever be. Okay. I think it's art imitating their life, and they love it so much, and the parallel of that that... It seems natural to them. Did you notice how Tony even looks behind his shoulder at the fish? Like, it, it caught his attention. It, he left his view and business at his own table just to see that fish. It was strange. And unfortunately, the fish is going to haunt him for forever mm-hmm. going forward. The song is playing with the lyric we keep hearing, waiting on a call from you. So the song is through and through by the Stones. The vocals are by Keith Richards. Which is, it's one of my favorite Rolling Stones songs because I'm not really a Rolling Stones fan. But David Chase is. That makes sense. And it makes sense why he would use them extensively in his season finale that he wrote. I think Keith Richards has a pretty interesting voice. This is one of my favorite uses of music in an episode. It's one of the only times where it's embedded in the episode too as opposed to the bookends, right? Yeah. I just learned that it was Keith Richards' voice, like, this week. Really? I never knew. Yeah, I just but it knew. it doesn't sound anything like... It doesn't sound like Mick Jagger, yeah. But I feel like he could... You know how some people can have a falsetto? Maybe he has, like, an opposite setto. Or, you know, he can, like, take it... He can take his voice <laughs> into this... What, like, what, what, what is the opposite of a falsetto? It's a full voice. No, but when you go... Low? Mm, you're just in your full is voice. That just I wonder if that actually does have a term. Because falsetto is this. Falsetto is in your high voice, though, yeah. like your head voice. I didn't know Ringo started Yellow Submarine for the longest time. Wait a minute. Is I, it? I'm not a Beatles fan, so I can't answer that. Oh! oh. <laughs> Rim shot! <laughs> it was interesting, though, that they chose a fish because they were at an Indian restaurant. Like, out of all the things to show, showcase food wise, it was a fish. Yeah. So it was very, very dramatized. So Pussy's last job on the show is to play the role of Irving Explainer, where he breaks down the calling card business to Furio. Notice how Tony stares suspiciously at him. This is not the first time we've seen Tony look at him this way. In many ways, he's known about pussy since the end of season one. He just needed time to reconcile it, right? That's what this is all about. He doesn't want to face the facts. Yeah. I confirmed. Ringo Starr. It is Ringo Starr's voice. You know what? Not a terrible voice then. I thought it was Paul McCartney, which is probably an insult to Paul McCartney at this point. But interesting. Uh, Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl, uh, what's the name of the drummer? Taylor Hawkins? Taylor Hawkins d- sings, he's the front man for a lot of their songs too. And it's just a, it's a nice way to like... Switch it up. Switch it up, yeah. yeah. Love it. Thoughts or impressions or ideas on why Tony wanted Patsy to wait outside? Why did he make such a big deal about Patsy holding the garment bag? There was the way that Tony had handed the envelope to Silvio as if he was hiding it from uh, Pussy. Hiding it from Pussy coming behind. I had thought maybe he wasn't involving him in that score. And he didn't want to reap the benefits of that handoff. But then he mentions there's plenty more of those envelopes coming and Pussy heard that. Okay. Um, The only other reference that I thought was, um, do you guys recall in Goodfellas? After the score, uh, all the guys go out to celebrate, and Robert De Niro's character says, I don't want you spending any of this money. we got to lay low. And a guy arrives with his wife in, like, a full mink coat. Mm. Yeah. And he's like, what are you doing here? you got to take that out. Like, take yeah. it home. And Oh, it could have been a Goodfellas reference. Mm-hmm. 
That actually makes a lot of sense now because this is this whole episode is reference, 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 right? I mentioned David Lynch. It's very with the dreams. It's very um, Twin Peaks, yeah. yeah, and Coppola or Hitchcock with the boardwalk and the and the camera shaking like this, and I probably that would be a Scorsese reference right there. Yeah, I just thought that maybe he didn't want the guys to see how he flashed his money, and that he was a little bit more modest on something like that, and even didn't want Carmela to wear it in the kitchen. It was like it was a very private. It might as well have been lingerie to him because that's how she ended up presenting it to him. I thought it was interesting that he gave her the coat. I guess the wives do get fur coats and the Gumars get other stuff. Have you seen Love Actually? Sadly, yes. I watched it on Christmas. I had a big argument with uh, Beth about this. I watch it every Christmas. I know. Why does everyone do that? I hate this movie. (laughs) No, but when the Joni Mitchell song comes in and and the guy, the Alan Rickman character, has a ring that's meant to go to his secretary and his wife sees it and she realizes it's not for her. Yeah, that's awful. But that song is so powerful. How did I get on the subject of that song? Because that song, that movie haunts my life. You don't think the little thing that Keira Knightley, the guy that loves Keira I can't even... Oh, the so only cute. thing decent is, like, Liam Nelson in that. Liam Neeson. Neeson, yeah. Um, it was very classic mobster. Get the wife a fur yeah. coat when things are going things, well. We had a good week, yeah. he says, right? Um, by the way, this is the first time... Oh, did Tony buy the jacket? No. no. Okay. Damn it. I just feel like, you know... Okay. <laughs> by the way, this is the first time we meet Patsy who is Philly Parisi's twin brother. It was kind of an unceremonious entrance, but uh, as we know from the folklore of the show, it was a character that David Chase really liked and didn't, and kind of regretted getting rid of, so to speak. And so this Patsy character was resurrected. Apparently you can only use the twin brother card or the twin sister card in like TV shows once. Hmm. And this was the trump card that he pulled to like activate that character back. That's what I thought about. I was like, yeah, you can only do it. Every now and then. Yeah. But it's a very convenient way to bring, I feel like, soap operas. What's the name of the show where you have lifelines and you can, like, phone a friend? This was his phone a friend. Who wants to be a millionaire? Jamelli is the word for twins. Well, we've talked before. I think David Chase uh, overdoes or even emphasizes twins. We'll see them throughout. Sandra Santiago mentioned that to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dream one analysis. So, they hear yet. Who's they? I think it's death. I like it. Yeah, there was there was a depression. Meme. Sold. T confuses Philly for Patsy. I liked it because it was a dream. It was okay that you turned the head. I thought that was appropriate. What's the sound in the background? God, it's so obnoxious. We've heard like I've read creaking piers or the boardwalk, the the sounds from just the water. So here's what here's what I've heard: ducks I'll just quacking. Say Have you heard that? There's definitely a jazz horn. Listen to the, again, and you'll hear, it sounds like baby ducks, too. So where do they, where do they kill pussy? On the boat. On the boat. And what happens after they shoot pussy? The boat rocks? It's the sound of the boat rocking. You think he dreamt about the boat rocking before he killed him? It was the, it's going to happen. Yeah, he's talking to the fishes. It's going to happen on a boat. Hmm. everything ocean that's the sound and it matches it it makes sense it actually makes sense we'll revisit it again when we finish this episode up he pours gasoline on himself because he's tired of waiting he said he's tired of waiting for the grim reaper like naya just elegantly articulated and so he's just gonna light himself on fire he's gonna do the grim reaper's job for him i buy it 100 percent well i was i thought a lot about immolation that's a heavy yeah. thing that was been done in history for protest. Yeah. And I thought about the subconscious protesting Tony's conscious and giving up or wanting to end being in his head. I saw it more cuz I was I was looked up like what does it mean to be sick or die in your dream and it says that it's something's going to change. There's like a transition or like that you're afraid of something that's going to come. And the ocean symbolizes the subconscious resides behind the waking mind. So, like, the ocean, like, if you dream about the water, there's, like, a reason for it. And if you think you're going to die, it's not necessarily because you're afraid of death. It means potentially something bad is going to happen or something that you have to let go of in your life, which could be a death of someone else. But it is weird that he, he dreamt that he was going to die and he lit himself on fire. And he had yeah. spicy food. The Vindaloo. I got a good thing on Vindaloo for you guys in a little bit. Um, Gigi appears, shining Philly's shoes. 
any symbolism for you guys there? He's, of course, the guy that killed Philly, but now he's shining his shoes. Subscribing to the notion that nothing is coincidental. Why did they show that to us? Well, taking it from Tony's perception, because this is his subconscious, and he's referencing, like, he was a friend. It, it almost, it's like him uh, envisioning him from a time in the past. Like, I, I gather he was a part of that crew, but that uh, Philly was more higher up. And he's, it's submission. I, when I think of shining someone's shoes, you're, you're beneath them. Your respect. Your respect. Your totem pole. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Philly was higher up. Philly was an under, Philly was the de facto boss when Junior was in jail. He, Philly was in charge. Well, and with these, with the satanic black magic thing with, uh, sick shit. The sick shit with, um, Polly and how the people that they kill followed them. It kind of thought in like they're walking behind you and he's carrying that burden and he's shining. Was Polly in the first dream? Uh, yeah, he was at yeah. the, at the pier. Um, Tony wakes up. It's all a big nothing. That's a line that Livia has said in the past. Again, he is his mother's son. Oh, fuck. It's a chicken visible. <laughs> fucking motherfucking wugs. Shout out to Coca-Cola products, though, for upset stomachs. That is not in any medical journal, but, like, the non-Coke Zero, like, the full, the red can Coke for upset stomachs is the elixir of life. When no you're... way. It's Sprite. It's ginger ale. I was a, That's so a mess. That's so racist. <laughs> it's both. It's carbonated. It's carbonation. Spray. Carbonation is a big but deal. But some people, I think, are probably Coke, and some I'm people are probably Coke. ginger ale. Saltines and Sprite. What is Chicken Vindaloo? Chicken Vindaloo is Great a name. preparation of chicken. It's a type of chicken curry. It's not the red curry. It's not the chicken tikka masala that everybody knows, which, by the way, is as American as the burrito. Okay. It's just a thing, right? It's basically spicy chicken in a curried sauce. Okay. And it's one of the spicier of the chickens. Skip and Puss, the final dance. I know. Tony's your best friend. President Franklin is my best friend. And he's in there. It's a nice piece of writing there. My note on this to you guys is it's a pretty unceremonious ending to a burgeoning friendship. That's it. There's no more skip and puss after this. And it ends, for me, kind of anticlimactically, but I guess that's how David Chase wants things, right? No bows. It's weird because I, when I think of this episode, I, don't, I think of it's the one he got food poisoning and not the one pussy got shot killed and sometimes I think the opposite I don't think of them as the same episode episode and it's weird because it's he set it up where we don't think he's gonna die like we know Tony knows that pussy's talking to them but I guess we just don't assume he's gonna do anything yet especially because he has diarrhea right now like the last thing I'm I'm assuming is this is gonna happen yeah and when he actually does go to check on pussy Carmelo's like get back in bed it happened we'll we'll get there and then is it real is it a dream are you even at pussy's house good point I don't know what's real it didn't bother you that he said President Franklin no it did that was a malaprop that was a perfectly appropriate I didn't catch that it's just brilliant writing that's what pussy Bonpensero would say Anyway, I just wanted to sh- do one last dance for Skip and Puss. Fair enough. Dream 2 analysis. Tony's alone here, but he sees Junior in a window. Do you have any reflections on that? Yeah, this ties into some of my... You want to want to save it? Yeah, okay. a little bit. Tony's walking, but he's not going anywhere. He's on a treadmill. Silvio's dressed as Al Pacino in 3. The actual quote in three, though, by the way, you guys, is our true enemy has yet to show his face, Mm. not what Silvio says, which, again, is another piece of brilliant writing. John, you pointed out that this is their world, but they can't even get their own world right. Right. (laughs) It's like (laughs) they they butcher the most basic of lines from that movie. Similar to uh, the Luke, I am your father hijinks with all of that. Like people think it's one thing, but it's actually another. Darth Vader doesn't say that? It's it's the way that he says it, or it's the wording. Huh. Yeah. Ed Ringo Starr. You just... Sung. <laughs> I'm blowing your mind with pop culture. Hashtag shook. <laughs> Tony looks into binoculars and sees himself and Polly in the distance. I always like that room for some reason. Whenever I see that, it just has this, like, amphitheater-esque feeling to it. Was it binoculars, or was he looking through a keyhole? 
It's those little those, those little tourist, yeah. tourist oh, the binoculars, viewfinder. the viewfinder. Yeah. There you go. This dream, I this one, I was hard for me. I was trying to figure out if he's eliminating because he always is asking where his pussy in every dream. He yeah. asks where he is. They're playing cards. Yeah, you hear the number three, mm-hmm. three hearts, three hearts. Does that mean mm-hmm. anything to you? No, I just because it said three. three. I was like three o'clock. Why? Could have been anything, but could have been could have been five of spades or yeah. whatever, right? Tony shoots him. Why? I don't know. You got the wrong guy. Oh, you want to save that too? Yeah. It, okay, it so does John, tie. John's got some dream pop, pun intended, with the music reference, dream pop. Uh, <laughs> he's got some dream pop reference that we're gonna wait on, and hopefully the payoff will be high. Tony tells Melfi about his fever dream in a dream. I thought it was interesting. He says, "You're gonna make me eat something now." I love that line. Before, what we- did that mean to you? Well, to me, there's a whole connection with, like, overeating and, like, everyone is indulging. And I just thought it was really weird that that was, like, a choice to Annalisa say Annalisa said it, right? No, he says that to— Annalisa or to Melfi? To Melfi. Before she morphs. Into Annalisa. Annalisa. Talk about that. What did that mean to you? Obviously, these are two people that are objects of his desire. But why'd they throw Annalisa in? Any reaction to that? Because she's— Someone he desired. It's like a lover, the doctor, and the mother. It's all, and there's no Carmela. Like, they're all, I wait, don't wait, know. Is, did you say Livia is in Melfi too? Livia. Yeah, they're all a mother figure. That's why he falls in love with her at first. She says, you're just... Well, there's another dream where, before, where uh, Melfi turns turn into, into Melfi. Yeah. Remember that one? Okay. And then, but there was reference when they're in Italy. Uh, and he says, you remind me of someone. And again, this is his subconscious. Mm-hmm making sense of and now we get an episode of his subconscious Mm -hmm. this is mom that's why he says are you going to make me eat something now because she's always pushing food on him and he says powerful women would be the theme yeah okay but no carmella he doesn't think of her as powerful i think she's really she we think think she's because subconsciously he's trying to fuck his mom or missing the The oedipus complex yeah i really like your analogy of Carmela being comfortable in her fishbowl that really stuck with me because it perfectly encapsulates everything about her but to Tony she's a prisoner she's his prisoner the fish is happy when she gets a little castle and some <laughs> reeds and some toys to play with in her fishbowl wow. and suddenly she's not worried about being in her fishbowl anymore some mm. deep shit yeah in the fur coat if you're a nice prisoner four days in a row we give you three extra square meals you yeah. know here's your here's your fur coat Okay, so in this dream, we learn that Polly writes in-depth reports on his nieces and nephews, to which my reaction was, spin-off. <laughs> <laughs> what would you call this? I, don't know, I didn't get that far, but just like a, like a 20-minute comedians in cars getting coffee situation where Polly's sitting at a desk, like overlooking, like in Love Actually, when Colin Firth is sitting outside looking at the pond and typing. Yes. Uh, uh, Polly's like sitting there typing a little a little Santa letter for his nieces and nephews. Oh God, she's in. Dream four: Adriana's car. Furio hands Tony toilet paper. Any significance there for you guys? They're not TPing anybody's house. He's the cleanup guy. He's there to deal with the shit. Oh, I love that. He's the cleanup. He's the cl- yeah, yeah. He's the cleanup guy. What's the? Ter- I'm looking for the sports reference. He's not a closer. <laughs> but when you when he's you, got good follow through. Yeah, he's got good follow. He just he, he's the fixer. He's the fixer. He's the Ray Donovan. Yeah. He's the Ray Donovan. Or Michael Clayton is a much better Ray Donovan. Michael, Michael Clayton, Clayton. What a movie. Oh, Michael Clayton is a way that. better fixer than Ray Donovan. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not a Ray Donovan fan. Yeah. A lot of Ray Donovan lovers out there. Um, I thought Adriana was driving because she's next in line to be the first lady. Because at the end we hear Chrissy's getting his button too. Because uh, Janice is out of the picture, potentially moving up. So she's so now. Who else would be? She's Kate Middleton. Mm-hmm. Love it. If I could think of anything. Artie, Indra Gandhi, clarified butter, funeral pyre. It's a true story. I watched the video on YouTube. Why? Because Artie said it. And that's the level of attention we bring to this podcast thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So that's how you get it done in India. That's their lighter fluid. It's true. It's clarified butter. Airport. So Livia is going to Tucson. We see her there. Psych. As soon as she gets there, it's time to go. Pump fake. <laughs> yeah, pump that's fake. How I, heard I like it. it. That's how I heard it. Um, 
But we meet her sister, which is a big thing that no one really talks about or just kind of gets overlooked. This is Tony Blundetto's mother. Uh, is this where you're going with that? That's why this is cool. Tony Blundetto won't mean anything to the young viewers that have never seen the show, but suffice it to say that we're those of us that have seen the show multiple times, we're starting to world build here. So they're right? first cousins. They're first cousins. Yeah. Okay. Um, Interesting. Dream five, the Tony erection in Dr. Melfi's office. It was a prop. That has been confirmed. So I deep research in 2006, a pair of MIT engineering students used advanced mathematics and a video measurement tool to determine the actual size of James Gandolfini's erection or what they believed to be some prosthetic prop Oh my! for the effect. And they confirmed it was a prop. The names of these students were Anita Woody, Ben Dover, and Dixie Normus. Now you're just full of shit. <laughs> see wait if Ju- he is was that jo- real he was joking see if Justin was here he would have known it was total bullshit <laughs> but he had to give me that second thing because I actually believe him I believe him too an erection in your dreams is a sense of possible frustration things you can't move past well she says Melfi asked him a few uh, episodes ago do you wake up with an erection he says you could set your clock to it right to the uh, well, constantly dissatisfied <laughs> That, that someone heard a song on I the know, podcast and's like, can you please do the sync placement can on you this play song? The for erection me? song again. <laughs> <laughs> Melfi to Kuzumano. So Melfi and Tony are on the table in his dream. I really hate her vocal performance here. Yeah. She's just like struggling. The cut or the fade, whatever, the dissolve to Melfi to Kuzumano was interesting choice. And it's it's synonymous going from doctor to doctor. But again, it's not coincidental. Like that's, it's actually trying to get you out of the mood, you know, yeah. like, because <laughs> to a fan, I'm not going to lie. I've been waiting for Tony and Melfi to We get hook to up. see it. We get to see a, a version of it. Not, a, not the best version, but then it dissolves to Dr. Kuzumano, which is a kind of a buzzkill. Spices do kill... Artie again. Spices do kill microbial agents. That's another true story. They're also great for your gut biome, which is a post-Sopranos medical revelation. And that is also true. I'm not lying. You learn a lot of things. You learn a lot of things. I'm telling you, the show is an educator of life on multiple levels. Isn't uh, spicy food burns more calories too? Helps with your metabolism, yeah. yeah. But your gut biome is this basically big spherical ball in our bodies that is like trillions of different types of bacteria that basically does, it keeps us vertical, literally. And spices activate and enhance it and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, Dream six. Pussy the fish tells Tony he's working for the feds. The godfather nod. Pussy says the fish next to pussy are sleeping. Okay, sleeping with the fishes, right? He says, you passed me up for promotion. When was that? Was that? When Furio came into town and he moved Polly up. Polly at the Costello statue? Mm-hmm. That scene. Okay. Right? And he says, mm-hmm. you, you pussy down reports yeah. to you guys. Okay. So Tony, this is the straw that breaks the camel's, or the dream that breaks the camel's back, so to speak, right? Tony dresses and goes to see Pussy at his house. Did Tony see Pussy? with his hands on the box when he opened the door. No. I didn't notice it. I can. I feel like he did. Because the next question is, what about the cigar box tipped Tony to check twice? It can't be lazy writing. I won't accept it. I think he looked everywhere else. He looked through the drawers. Where would you keep something? And then he smashed it down, and then he heard a, the thing fall off. So he knew. So he heard something. I think so. And also people, I would assume in the mob, put things under the pool tables, put things under, like, I would assume it's a spot, a very common spot to hide stuff, if you're a man. I was a deviant child, and I would hide things, like, throughout my teen years or whatever. And it, my trick was always the most conspicuous place to hide something was... Or inconspicuous place to hide something is something conspicuous. And it's. I just felt like Puss, if he had it somewhere so easy to find, it was less likely that someone would come across it. 
It was a little like, there it is, though. I, I'll give too you quick, that. A little too quick. quick. A couple of times that happens, and it's like, motherfucker. Like, what, really? Like well, that? you get all of this critique of David Chase using the dream sequence as a way and a method for Tony to discover that pussy's a rat. But ultimately, why go with such a parlor trick of, oh, he found the tape? Like Because he, he already proof. knew. He knew, but he wanted his own proof so he could sleep at night. Dreaming is ultimately about awakening. We could argue that maybe that was part of the dream. Yeah, I have no idea what's real at this episode The idea being, because by definition, we've seen a lot of transitions in dreams that didn't make sense. So you can, shortly after that, he's already dreaming of his family sitting at the table. Mm -hmm. So that could have just been one dream. And maybe he never really had the pure evidence, but he, based off of his intuition, got a confession on the boat. Could all be a dream except for the last sequence. Ooh. Yeah? Yeah, it's possible. Matthew Weiner, season five, test dream. Um, Free Fallen. Rest in peace, Tom Petty. Love Tom Petty. Can't get enough Tom Petty. This was a dream sequence, and it wasn't immediately apparent to me the first time I saw it. I still don't even think it's a dream. So, yeah, Meadow announces she got into Columbia. Congratulations to Meadow, by the way, for getting into Columbia. Um, Great job, Carmel. Did job. you notice he's? It was all Carmela. Yeah. Oh, that's why even more why it was a dream. That's amazing. Yeah, because yeah. it was too Brady bunchy. The reason that I realized that it was a dream is because they normally are at each other's throats at the dinner table. Yeah. But this was like the Brady bunch Soprano family dinner. Yeah. It didn't fit. It didn't fit all the other things. Totally. And knowing what he was about to go do to pussy, he came in a little too, with too much sprig in his step. Yeah. You know, he would have been a little bit more subdued, especially after being that sick. In the dream, he tells the family that he bought a boat. And anytime anybody says, I bought a boat, I always think about SNL's, I'm on a boat, all time great, all time classic. So good. Right before Tony gets on the boat. So when they're walking, they're driving, pussy, Tony, and Silvio. Tony says, Time and tide wait for no man, right? I love that line. I don't think it waits for any woman either, but the boat, the music. This is a really big deal to me. I think I might have expressed this to Naya on a previous occasion, but this is an Antonio Carlos Jobim arrangement of the song Bobbles, Bangles, and Beads. It's on an album collab that he did with Frank Sinatra. Perfect. Jobim is special to me because aside from the fact that he's an amazing musician and architect of the bossa nova genre, the name of this company that we're sitting in today comes from a lyric of another song that he produced with Astrid Gilberto mm, and Frank so Sinatra at the same time. So when I, he- when I heard this, I was like, wow, why are they doing bossa nova and why this song what emotion comes out? It made me laugh. Really? It was hilarious. So there's irony? Yeah. At least, I mean, it's sad, but that's what makes it, like, lighthearted in a way, because you're listening to, like, a samba. Yeah. While these guys have to kill their best friend, and he has no clue. I mean, he knows, but he's like, you know. Does he think he can talk his way out of it? I think he believes it. Uh, when Syl and Tony go up the boat, or out of the cabin. Wouldn't you love to have had a camera on him and Polly in there? Because they come back in, they could have been like conspiring against the other. Like I bet it was just a deadpan of them staring at each other for oh, another yeah. two minutes. Totally. Yeah. I love the bossa nova though. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It, it's it's like there's this weird. Again, this is the genre bending of this episode. It's such a beautiful song, but it's so misplaced for what's about to happen. Well, there's like a connotation with bossa nova music that's like kind of cheesy or like campy or like you know silly some in some way even though i think it's really beautiful but that's why i think they chose to put a bossa nova there when we talk about the regularness of life too this whole if this was a movie it would be very executed cleanly and no words spoken and no negotiation and this was fumbling and being sick and some music that happens to just inappropriately be playing while a man's about to be killed well he just bought the boat so it wouldn't be his cd correct because I don't think Tony would have that CD no, on his boat. No, it was definitely not on his. He's a he's got eclectic music taste. Yes, but not that. But not this. Not that. Did they hear the song while they were shooting the scene? I've always wondered that. Is it playing in the background while they're filming, or did they overdub it? I don't know. I think that's the actor's choice. Sometimes I think the actor likes to do the motion and have it playing. But I'm sure that for the shot, they have to overdub it. 
I would assume they'd have to overdub it depending on the takes and which angles they use. They know about the calling cards. That's what Pussy tells Tony, this disinformation thing, which I thought is fascinating. You know, this whole idea of disinformation. But Pauly says, I'm not in that. Was he griping? No, I think he was checking off the particular things that were said. And he's like, well, I'm not in that. What what next? Is there I felt like else? he was griping. I felt like he's like, I'm not getting, where's my taste? Because we know next season, it's all about Paulie and Christopher. And I need my taste. I need my taste. I need my taste. And I saw a little bit of that there, but you're you're not with me. Like, I thought it was what you said. Like, okay. I don't mind that. What else? What else? What the else can I get? The inflection, I think, would have been different. I'd be like, I'm not in that. Like, okay, okay, okay. And looking to the guys that are doing it. He wanted to get on with it. He wanted to execute. Is that what you're saying? No, he wanted to know what else he told him that he is involved in so he can save his own ass. Oh! Yeah, that's what we're suggesting. Yeah, Paulie's just looking out for Paulie. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. I'm not in that. What else? Yeah, I'm with you. I get it. Was there another option besides killing pussy? I'm asking because they hesitated for a long time. I don't think there was another option. I think they just, because of the relationship and the respect that they had, it was difficult, and it was just as hard for them as it was for Puss. Did the FBI fail in protecting him? I mean... Should they have seen this coming? Yes and no. I mean, they can't. Another nitpick, if you will, right? I'm just, yeah. just throwing it out there. They did fail him. I He's mean, their guy, right? Why is there not a tail on him when they're going on the boat? If you're working for the FBI, do you get automatic protection? Not protection so much as, but like suspicious like activity. I'm going to follow this guy to make sure he's doing what he says he's going to do because we're already suspicious about him because of the Bevilacqua thing. Why isn't there like a an agent underling, a Grasso-level guy in an unmarked car with binoculars seeing them get on a boat together and then alerting the um, Coast. Coast Guard to go out there and again, we can expand the universe and make the show into whatever we wanted to, but yeah. do you see what I'm saying? That's a nitpick, but it also could be completely irrelevant. Like, they got him in the early morning when no one was looking kind of thing. Probably cost too much, and he's just a mob guy. Like, he's probably... He's dispensable. Probably. Damn, yeah. Dude. Naya brings the fire like Daenerys Targaryen. Right, Fe- though? I boom! Mean, just done. I hate that. You just burn my shit down. But it's it's like, it's, yeah. you know... No, it's, it's perfect. I like it. I'm, I'm, I hate that. That's it makes sense. He's he dispen- He's dispensable. He's a, to- he's a pawn, and in chess, you can lose all your pawns and still smoke the game. Didn't even Skip's boss be like, don't get too, like, emotionally attached? Yeah, yeah. Beautifully stated. Okay, Livia's at airport security. Stolen tickets, FBI, the Carmela line that kind of, like, cohesively ties the episode together. The fun never stops. The FBI comes and arrests Tony shortly thereafter. They pull tickets from his car. A very nice, brilliantly executed sequence. I'm fast-forwarding a little bit here because the point of all this I want to get to is Meadow. If you ever wanted to talk... This is who Dad is. My friends don't judge me. And fuck them if they do. I'll cut them off. To which, I don't know who I said this to or what sidebar conversation we had on this podcast about how... She's ride or die for her family to the outside world, like cutthroat to their faces. She's does what every kid does, but this was a beautiful sort of moment. She was embarrassed perceivably in front of her friends, but she flat out told her mom, she's like, fuck them. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It was good, a good so arc. Good writing. There you go. Few words, but good writing. We're aligned with Meadow She's the heiress, so to speak. I've been saying that ever since the beginning. And this is just more proof of that. You know, she's like, fuck them. Like, they're just friends. But family, familia. This shit's real, right? Hell hath no fury like the family. Yeah. Would you do the same thing? I think I wouldn't, but Meadow is smarter than me. She got into better schools and has way more, like, she doesn't act so emotionally as I do. So I think she's the bigger person. What about your sister? Would she do it? Would she do what Meadow did? She would do what Meadow would do. Okay. She would do that. She's not as emotional. Tana? Yeah. Shout out Tana. Talking to Neil Mink. Neil Mink bails Tony. He's a really good lawyer, by the way. Guy just comes in and shit just gets done. There's no no time lapse, okay? Uh, In time for, for Meadows' graduation. But what's with all the bottles of bleach behind him? 
There has to be some symbolism there. Washing your hands clean, something. There has to even be a meme there somewhere. Well, Neil Mink. I'll drop a Netflix one right now. Okay. Uh, it's Clean Living with Neil oh Mink. God. After feeling remorse <laughs> for his dealings with the underbellies of society, he takes his stash to invest in a cleaning supplies company where he, I, or I guess the ending thing would be like, will he wash away his past or are some stains hard to remove? Dude. The merch, the merch on that, you know, Mr. Clean? Yeah. You swap Mr. Clean's face for Neil Mink with the cigar from a few episodes ago that even Naya pointed out Uh. when he's sitting there with the cigar and he's like, you got to get into these, you got to get out of that strip club and he's sitting there with the cigar. The Neil Mink merchandise line. Melfi. The Melfi sequence, my favorite part of the show, Tony and Melfi. This one actually was Neil's on a chalkboard for me. I need some, I need some, I need, I need one of you to walk me out of this. Let's talk, go. talk me Let's off go. the ledge. What else has happened? She says, she knows he's not talking about something, right? And, and this whole sequence is basically Tony's behavior. Feet up on the table. It's the first time we've ever seen that. He's actually doing this like a like a child. He's like moving his feet back and forth, almost trying to like provoke her in a way. Why is he acting out? What did this represent to you? Pussy dies, Melfi, and then this behavior. Explain it. Tony's been super resistant of Melfi in the past when she starts hitting him hard with, like, truth. And self-admittedly to Tony in this episode, after she gives him a little bit of dose of truth, he's taken aback. And he's been somewhat friendly with her throughout this season because she's not digging him. And then she almost apologizes for not doing her job. And that sort of wraps up her storyline of becoming an alcoholic and having all these issues internally dealing with him. But uh, it... It's an easy out just to throw humor and be silly in the midst of trying to express your emotions. I agree. He's sad he lost his best friend. That's why he's sad. Is he sad he lost pussy, though? 100%. That's why he's acting out. That's why he's so angry, because he won't deal with his sadness. It's sorrow. He didn't want to. Do you agree with that? I do. Because it it ties into, and maybe this is the good place to bring in my thought about the stages of grief. So... Based on anger, acceptance, and denials episode, I've just kept that that five denial, mantra. anger, acceptance, denial, anger, acceptance, bargaining, and and depression. So I started to see some parallels in the themes of specific dreams as they correlated to those things. So if you go into the first dream where he's um, about to burn himself, it's that depression. It's this. He's upset. Uh, when you go to the junior and the Silvio's Al Pacino and Polly, it's anger. It's mm-hmm. his life's not going anywhere. He's seeing somebody that's been a menace to him, you know, with Junior. And Polly's always been a little bit of an annoyance to him. And in his dream, his subconscious could just remove those things. So that's that. And then the um, the buying a boat and sitting around with the family and just this happy-go-lucky tongue-in-cheek Brady Bunch that you mentioned, uh, denial. He's imagining a world that's going to be better without pussy or all of his problems are solved when, you know, as we can tell towards the end of the episode, he has a lot of things left. Bargaining in the discussion with Melfi, he's trying to hit on her. That kind of also gets into denial too because he's having sex with her, which he's never going to have sex with her. And then the the final acceptance is when he's talking to a pussy as a fish, saying, you know, I'm the rat, Tony. And it was like this idea that your dreams are powered by your subconscious trying to tell you things or try to make sense of the world around you. And in a way, that's how this all got to him. When his overarching feeling of loss to his friend or loss of a friendship or the betrayal that he's experienced his his mood and that somehow these dreams can be allegorical to all that. Hmm. I dig it. Yeah. But now we're in real life, so I think it's funny because we think, well, we, we learned just especially what you said, he's been educated from his dreams of what to do in his real life. But how I was left was like, wow, he's the real villain. Because I was like, who's, he, who's the real villain here? Is it pussy? Because... He was going to out him. Is it the FBI? Is it Livia? Because it goes back to his mom a lot. Like, who is he the most? 
who's like going to affect him the most? Like the who's, mother. Who's the real villain? But then was like, was is it just death in general? Because throughout this, when he's sick, he says, just let me die a yeah. lot of times, which we've all said when we have food poisoning. But I was like, so who's the real villain? And then at the end, he lights his cigar. And it's like a long shot of him lighting a cigar. And even the FBI is like, what, can't stand the heat? Like he's his own worst enemy. He's his own worst enemy, yeah. which is what um, Annalisa says to him during the dream. So he's... He's the villain, like, and it's. I, I was left as if you were like, damn, he's he's the dangerous one. Even though in the show he's been enlightened that, like, he's sad because of pussy and he's he's got his the problem out of out of the way. If the yeah. series had sense. ended on this episode, I was asking myself on the drive up here if I'd be okay with that, and I would have, not knowing everything that happens forward. But they, it's a good. The ending. whole thing could have been really. Yeah. Yeah. All summed the, up in this final yeah yeah totally that's a testament of a really good finale too it was so good finale of season one as well show could have been over yeah but you know what to your point there's actually a lot of truth in what you said they don't actually know if there's going to be a season three like in, in real time in many ways they're actually only thinking about those 13 episodes because that's all they have because the powers that be in the suits and, and, and other forces of nature take place you don't know so you have to actually think as a creator I need to wrap this up, and 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 so that's kind of what you're seeing. So yeah. perfect episode. Uh, wrapping things up, Meadow graduates. We hear her full name, Meadow Mary Angela Soprano. Spinoff series based on the backstory of who Mary Angela was, the Meadow Soprano middle name namesake. Somebody call Jumpa Lahiri and ask her to adapt the script. She's of course the writer of the movie, The Namesake which is uh, about an Indian family. A lot of Indian references in this episode, so I'm taking liberty with that. Go for it. I have one more. David's moving, David Scatino, is moving 30 miles outside Vegas. That's fitting, right? Yeah. Did he get short shrift? Did you guys want more David Scatino, or were you good? He's like a ghost of the past. I didn't want to see him ever again. I feel so bad for the fact that he even showed his face. I was like, oh my God. It was a strange reference that strange cameo right yeah why such a big actor but if they thought the show was over it makes sense it's like a ghost someone else that tony wronged the final montage very godfather-esque the adult peep show what was that all about i did i miss something i think they just run that right isn't that just have we seen that before? another hustle of theirs yeah i wasn't sure if that was it was random right well, they were montaging a lot of the businesses, right? Okay, so let's just call that one of them then. I had is never that part of Potta Bing? Is there I think Potta Bing, a, you mean? I think that's another... <laughs> Freudian slip there. I think that's another phrase. We see Wabistics gutted. Recall the season started with Christopher taking the Series 7 exam, or Christopher's proxy. Um, the main takeaway from the montage, though, is that it's just business as usual, right? Life goes on. Yeah, or like all the... Because then it's, you see the family portrait of them all happy mm-hmm. and lovely and rich and shiny and then all the fucked up shit that these bad guys do on the, on the, the other the two side. Families. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have any reactions to the final montage? Any feelings? Any notes, comments? I think in Tony's mind, it, it seemed like all of his problems were solved and he's uh, talking about a dinner. You know, Richie's in Bermuda and everything's great, but... There's a lot of stuff to come, and I, I feel like the montage alludes that his life isn't done. Before it fades to black, though, it says is waiting on a call from you. Who's you? Death. I think it's Livia. That literally could be Livia. I think he's a boy who wants to talk to his mommy. Biggest nitpick? Why do you think they did a close-up on Carmela when Tony was getting arrested? Like, it, the end scene was just close, zooming in on her. I mean, I know why, but, like, what do you, what is she thinking? Because she's the fish in the bowl. Yeah. She stays in the bowl. People come and go, but she stays. And she has to deal with this this situation. Yeah. She has to make, save face. Yeah. She's just saving face left and right for the sake of the kids. Biggest nitpick for me was the, I thought the David Scatino farewell was too short. I also, I thought that Vic was paying for Georgetown. What happened? Um, favorite quote. Time and tide wait for nobody. It's a mic drop. 
do you have a line from the episode that you use in your daily life? I've said it was the goddamn Vindaloo at least more than a few times in my life. And you still go back to it, huh? It's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. But you get a, you get a rancid hit of that ghee and you're, you're down for the count. Could a Netflix series be spun off on the basis of this episode and what would it look like? I'm going to get mine out of the way because John's going to eviscerate us. I have waiting on a call from you, the David Scatino post New Jersey story. <laughs> I had a David Scatino into this. David Scatino's waiting for a call from Tony to tell him That's that it's okay uh... to come back to Jersey. I like it. And it never comes. Or maybe it does. I have Richie in Bermuda, Time and Tide, Wait for No Man, Dead or Alive. The ghost of Richie Apriel explores the mysteries of the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, the Bermuda Triangle reference. That was good. We did. You Thank you for covering that. I have Mile High with Sister Quintino. It's a reality show where people that are afraid of flying <laughs> take flights, and you watch them as they freak out and force them off you know, onto the tarmac. He's got a, this is a skill. Oh, You've got God. a skill. Okay, last call. I had one last call. Just It was interesting. Uh, Vincent Pastor, one of his first acting roles was playing a criminal on America's Most Wanted, America Fights Back. In real life, he worked as a taxi driver at the time. And after the episode, a woman who took a ride with him called the company to let him know that a criminal was working for their company. It was an interesting... Huh. Um, I got one thing I want to say about season two and, and this whole idea of sophomore slumps. There's no sophomore slump here. This season was fire, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, David Proval, uh, Richie April played a very big role in that. It was an amazing character. Sad to see him go. This season was powerful, complex, subtle, arresting, and expansive. And the universe is massive now. It was pretty big in season one. Now it's massive. And the introduction of the new characters that we're going to get in season three just adds so much juice to the team. It's like that thing we talked about last week where Michael Jordan wins a championship. They won a championship this year, but now season the third year, they're going to come retooled. You know, we're going to get the Ralphies. We're going to get Christopher's a made guy. I also love that they left the viewers with the carrot of Chrissy being a made man. That's coming, right? So in real life, we'd have to wait a year or whatever for the season three. But that's the little thing that we get, the glimmer of hope. You know, Daenerys's dragon is born. Christopher Moltisanti is going to be a made Equally man. as important. Let's, <laughs> hey man. let's get it straight. Yeah. It's coming back in April. And don't think for a minute I... that when that show comes back, I'm not going to be able to help myself with the cross-references. You're a Game of Thrones fan? Oh, big time. Yeah, I... Big time. Love that show. Big. You're not a Game of Thrones fan? I am it's until a, I'm like, it's. I'm watching dragons. Like, let's go. Let's, it's not, I have though, better see? stuff to do with my life than watch an egg. But it, it's a story about people like and what they do to each other. The dragons are incidental, just like the mafia is incidental to the show. This if it a, didn't have dragons and dead people, would you watch it, though? Yeah, I totally would. I would watch it for Littlefinger and the Starks alone and the, and the Lannisters. They die at the end. Well, they're all (laughs) going to die at the end, okay? If what we think is happening is going to happen, the... The The dead people? They're going to roll that place up. Um, Jesus. So I'm looking forward to starting season three uh, next week. Uh, It's been real, guys, as always. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, Naya. Thank you. See you next time. (laughs) 